all of these are such different perspectives and we don't see how nuanced it is. You know what I'm saying? Cause I'm not like going around all day thinking that like, I'm not using those right. words in right. my head, but I don't realize that like unconsciously I'm terrified of appearing stable because if I'm, if I'm too stable with self-pres I'm unavailable in mm-hmm. sexual and social ways. Welcome back to Not My Type. This is Malia and Jack here. <laughs> What's up, y'all? How are you doing? And we're back with another episode. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit more about the instincts, which we haven't touched on in a, in a while, um, because Jack has gotten a new download from uh, a fellow Enneagram enthusiast. So Jack, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So um, for everyone who's listening, I just want to share what I'm learning because as we're doing this podcast thing, I'm always thinking to myself, like, if we want to actually like talk about this and teach it, whatever, I want to make sure that I'm like continually learning stuff. And so um, I, there's this teacher, this Enneagram teacher named John Lukovich that I have been following for a little bit. And he just released a, um, a book on the instincts and how they underpin the Enneagram and everything like that. And so his, his book is titled The Instinctual Drives and the Enneagram. And again, his name is John Lukovich. And um, this book I just read recently, it, it came out and I think at the end of September, and it just is honestly like a radical perspective, radical in a good way. Like I think it's, I mean, this guy had a lot to bring to the table as far as instincts. And I think he's already shaped a lot of what we've talked about here as far as instincts goes, but this book was just so illustrative. So I wanted to like, like not necessarily... I'm not going to read the whole book on this podcast, obviously, but I wanted to Please share don't. some of the insights, some of the insights <laughs> that I found particularly useful. Um, but yeah, no, I just like, I thought we would um, just sort of unpack a little bit of what he talks about. And so, I mean, John's book, basically what he focused on is how like, really we think about instinct and, and sort of trying to explore what it's about and it's biological. And as we've said before, like, these are the things that underpin type structure. And so these neurotic cycles that we're learning in our childhood and in our um, young adult lives, like we develop them, not because they're the very basis of personality, but rather they're, they're coping mechanisms that try to feed these very demanding Mm -hmm. instincts. And so Mm -hmm. we have all three of them, self-press, sexual, social. Um, But John's book basically just talks about how like, every single iteration of any given type um, that differs based on instinct is going to differ because it's, it's geared toward that instinct. Everything goes back to the demands of the dominant instinct. Um, and, and the ego is so invested in seeing only the world of that instinct and ignoring the world of the instinct we don't want to think about. And so I just mm. sort of like Malia and I read through some of his stuff together um, and it just was like rattling um, Hmm. to the point where like i i mean i met someone the reason i was very excited about this book is that i met someone who also knows the enneagram quite well and um she suggested to me that i might be social sexual instead of sexual social and um i was like oh interesting i could maybe see that so i did some research and then john's book came out sort of when i was in the middle of that process um and then i i read it and it was like very clearly um like it's just sort of it's just sort of like 
illustrative to the point of you're like, oh, wow, I can't even believe I thought anything different. Um, and I realized that I was definitively sexual social. And um, my new friend, as as smart as she is, she was wrong. And I was I was <laughs> tragically right. I was tragically right about my own stacking. Tragically um, is a very key word there. <laughs> tragically, though. And, and so that's the thing is that so for anyone who's looking to get absolutely wrecked, I mean, I don't know what you're interested in. But um, for me, this was like it wasn't just like practical or mental. It was also spiritual and something that just in my own mm -hmm. faith, like unpacking these insights was really transformative and important. Mm -hmm. um, so let me pause just, and, and yeah, ask you a, a, a few questions um, because we've, we've touched on these before. We've touched on the, the instincts, but like going through the book, what were some maybe key facts or insights that you kind of learned or relearned about each one of how to tell or, or, um, maybe ways that they individually feed into neurotic cycles that maybe you didn't see before we hadn't talked about before. I guess something about, I mean, so for my own self being sexual dominant, one of the first things I realized is that like something I did not understand about the sexual instinct was that, um, in, in reality, it's not just a thing of like, what's the chemistry between X, Y, and Z, like between mm -hmm. me and, and whatever my target is. It's also the instinct that we're using to craft some sort of flavor for ourselves. Like I want to be like the sexual instinct is what drives us to be unique because if it's like, I mean, you think about a peacock flaring its feathers or any sort of wild Buffalo or something like that, doing like a, a big competitive, like wrestling its, its opponents or whatever. It basically, whatever the, the sexual competitors are trying to do is like, outshine the others and so this mm. flavor like the sexual instinct really adds some layer of narcissism to hmm. the neurosis of personality because it's focused on basically not only how do i attract like what's the, what's the chemistry like between me and the object of my attention but it's also so like how do i craft a specific flavor that stands out but contrasting with the social instinct which is what makes us charismatic in a way or um having a reference to the thoughts of others, whatever sexual is not charismatic so much as it is magnetic. And so it's, it's about creating polarity. And so because mm. it wants that magnetic pull, like the sexual instinct is, is what is trying to create polarity between me and other people. And so like something I, I didn't realize I had been doing my entire life until I read this book is like, I mean, I had thought about it a little bit, I guess, but I didn't realize that it was related to the, the sexual instinct, which is that like, the sexual instinct is what is provoking reality. It's trying to turn the self into a magnet where some people are magnetically drawn and snapped onto me and mm. other people are re repelled. You know what I'm saying? Like immediately sent away. And so like where social generally wants to feel connected to others, like this instinct is trying to, to make things really, um, really like intense and polar in its, in its, um, chemistry. So that was something that I just didn't even realize is that like, I mean, my whole aesthetic in high school was like kind of something stupid, like, oh, I'm going to like take people's seats where we're sitting or whatever. And like, or I'll say this kind of thing just to see what it can get people to say or do. Mm. And I didn't realize that was related to the sexual instinct. Like basically what I was doing is using the middle instinct, which for me is social to like, I was using that as, as the environment for provocation and, and polarity and then creating constant upheaval because it was entertaining to me uh, that's what i thought it was but mm. in reality what i was trying to do is magnetically draw some people to me and magnetically shove others away from me mm -hmm. um so i think that was one thing i learned um which was really interesting 
So for you who are sexual dominant, like as you're processing these things and learning more about it, what in your experience, where do you see that being conscious or subconscious when you're realizing these patterns? Like, I don't know if that's the best way to word it, but um, when you're looking back over patterns that you see in your own life, you're like, how, how aware of you are you of being conscious or unconscious of those actions? Do you mean conscious, like conscious of them as just actions or conscious of them as actions that are related to the sexual instinct? Like conscious of them as actions related to the, the sexual instinct. And also like when you find yourself even now doing them, like, are they, are they, do they come along with like active thoughts where you're like, oh, I'm going to do this so that I can get this result? Or do you look back and then you're like, oh my gosh, I totally was doing that because of the dominant instinct. I think that's the thing is that like the instincts are unconscious. So like I can look back on it and, and I can see times where I was like, oh, there was provocation. There was provocation there. I was just mm-hmm. trying to polarize people toward me or away from me. And like, I didn't even see that as a thing, but but I think that this is why the instincts are, are so juicy and so worthwhile in us like unpacking and exploring because they are unconscious. And so like, whether or not I realizing, whether or not I see it, like in pretty much any sort of social environment, the social instinct is going to be subservient to sexual in my ego. And it's going to, it's going to try and find ways to provoke um, in ways that are good, but also in ways that are bad. And let's, so like, I don't, it's not like a conscious thought, like a, hmm, this is what the sexual instinct does. Time for me to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's just like mm. my own, the way I engage in reality um, is is this magnetic pole kind of thing where I just, I mean, my, my friend that I hope one day will be on this podcast, Jess, if you're listening, would love to have you on here. Um, but my friend... Jess said to me once that it feels like it feels like tunnel vision, like the sexual instinct is creating Mm. this tunnel vision thing. And like, that's kind of the point is like, I don't see it as tunnel vision. Like, I don't realize that I'm doing that. But like, in any sort of engagement, I'm doing tunnel vision on something. It's like, whatever it is that's arousing me, my brain says that what is that toward it, toward it, toward it. And that's the point is that like, something, another thing I didn't learn about the sexual instinct before is that it has this like drop everything kind of mentality, because it's about it's about following the impulses of whatever arouses us. And so it's like, mm. if something's arousing, it's like, you know what? This is my entire life right now. Not even like a, oh, I was interested in like World War II. So now I'm like going to study it a lot. No, it's like the sexual instinct is, is, is about arousal. Not like a, oh, this is intriguing to me. It's a, it's a, this sparks something in me that doesn't even have words. And now I have no choice but to be enslaved to it. And like, that's why mm. I think these instincts are so worth exploring because if you're not really realizing it, you don't understand that like the instincts are really the, the, the meat of the Enneagram. They're what underpins, like the, that's the bone. Mm-hmm. And like all of the neurosis is just muscle and tendons and all that stuff that we learn to move, move the ego, but like the bones of it, it is really something kind of horrifying, which is that like, I don't even realize my ego is obsessed with feeling like I have the ability to attract what I want to attract and, mm-hmm. and the people or things or whatever the things that I find beautiful or attractive, I should be able to pull toward me. And, and that's yeah. the point is that when the, when the ego doesn't get that, it flips out. Mm-hmm. And so I think this was just super helpful for me because I don't think, I think there might be one other two I know in my life that's a sexual two. 
And that's, I mean, part of that just comes along with the fact that like the sexual instinct is pretty dysfunctional. So it doesn't show up a lot in society and it shouldn't show up a lot in society. <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. pretty much, honestly, I, I think I only know one other two that would be sexual dominant and all the rest of them are, are social dominant or self-pres dominant. And so I think I didn't even realize, I didn't have like a comparison point for like, what am I doing neurotically? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because even this one person I know who might be a sexual too is sort of on like the periphery of my social sphere. But so I'm, I've been learning a lot about the sexual instinct, which is there. That was good. That's juicy. And can I just say about, about that instinct, like the fact that it is my my least dominant or like it's the instinct that I repress, but it's probably the one that I'm most conscious of because it's like, I, I think that some people can repress the instincts in a way that like you just never think about it. Like with you with food, like you're just like never you never realize if you're hungry until like you're starving or someone mentions in it. But for some people, like repression can also be like an aversion to it. And maybe I'm just like a, an interesting case in that way. But like, I, I'm almost more conscious, conscious of that, of the sexual instinct than even the ones I'm dominant in, because those are just like a, a ticking clock that I'm not aware of. But the one that I'm repressing, I'm like, Oh, like that's uncomfortable for me. Like, like if well, we're out yeah. on, on in the town and you are like, and I'm like, this has even happened before where we're walking and you see something and you're like, oh, this is like beautiful. I have to go see that or go do that. And I'm like, no, wait, we are already, we were already doing that. You know, we were already doing something and um, we have to like stick to that. You know, it's kind of this, we can't just follow the, that whim. I think that's so interesting because like, yes like what you just described is part of being sexual blind but also on top of that like part of what's going on with um with our blind spot instinct is that like me being sexual dominant i'm unconsciously fusing sexuality of some sort or just even the sexual instinct or or like whatever everything that comes along with that i'm infusing the sexual instinct into everything i'm seeing and doing you know what i'm saying so to Mm -hmm. me it's like that's my world that's the point is like like the sexual instinct is is in a way it's the world that i live in it's the world that i inhabit and the social instinct goes to support that so like being cued into what i'm magnetically attracted to or socially who i like or who i don't like and all those things all those social parameters and all those sexual parameters like all of those things that come with those instincts like those are my everyday life so when i'm forced to deal with the self-pres instinct it seems glaringly Mm. obvious you know what i'm saying and i think that sort of goes to what you're saying about the sexual instinct is that like Mm. for me it's like when my life starts falling apart because i haven't regulated my lifestyle in any way shape or form i'm forced (laughs) to see it and that's like the only thing i can think about is like my car's breaking and i also didn't go to the gym today and like all these things that i never think about ever and like normally i prefer not to have to do them it's like I mean, to be honest, I had a, I had a conversation with Anna last night about this where I pretty much was saying to her like vulnerably, like, Hey, like, I kind of feel like my life is a little bit of a shit show. And like, I wish it weren't that way. Mm. And I don't want to be so disorganized, but like in actuality I am. Hmm. Um, and she was, she was very understanding, but for anyone who doesn't know, Anna's my girlfriend. She was previously featured on here, um, <laughs> an interview with Nines. She says a lot of good things, but Anna is social self-pres. And so like, this is part of what happens is that like the sexual blind stacking that Malia has, that Anna has, like, that's, that's what society is built around. 
this functioning of, I'm not going to follow my whims on any given moment. I'm not going to just respond to whatever arouses me because I have social connections and self-prez lifestyles that deserve Mm. my attention and support. Mm -hmm. And so I can't just do these things. And the point is that like to the sexual blind person, someone sexual dominant like me just looks irresponsible. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Mm. oh, you're just being stupid. And the reality is like, like I don't actually have a choice. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a choice as far as like the behaviors I choose to do and whether they're moral or immoral or, but like, as far as what my attention is going to instinctually, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really Mm. have that. And so that's sort of what I said to Anna is like, I would like to be more organized. And so all that I see glaringly in front of me is my own inability to structure my lifestyle. Um, because I'm so self-pressed blind, but like, but it doesn't, that's not, it only seems so apparent to me and conscious per se, because I spend almost none of my time thinking about it. We're trying to meet its needs. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? And so in the same sense, like you go around all day trying to do the social instinct all the time, social, 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 and supporting it with self-pressed. And yet like the sexual instinct, as soon as it's like, wait, what? Like as soon as you're, as soon as there's, there's some sort of occasion mm-hmm. where the sexual instinct is being put on display or you're being asked to engage with it or anything like that, where it's like anything like that, it's going to seem glaringly obvious to you, you mm-hmm. know? And it, and, and it and feels scary. crippling. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, and to be that's honest, so like, interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just, well, I was going to read, so something I was going to read, I mean, John talks a little bit in his book about the blind spots in ways that were like really profound to me. Um, but something I was going to read real quick is something that Malia, I, I read to Malia when I first got this book mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Um, and it just like, he describes, so he describes what it is like to be sexual blind um, at length. He has great content. I won't read his whole book, obviously, again, I'll say that. But um, the first paragraph of his book about um, where he talks about the sexual blind stackings, which is for people who are self-pressed social or social self-pressed. Um, I think this this portion is so significant because... Um, most people are sexual blind. Um, mm. And I, it was so helpful for me thinking about you, thinking about Anna, thinking about my parents, everyone, like just so many people I know are sexual blind. And I just cannot relate to this at all. And so it was helpful for me to actually think about it and read it and be like, I can't imagine living like that. Mm. And in the same sense, like, I think that's like, my hope is that this is sort of what the Enneagram does is that like, we have compassion to realize like, oh, people see things differently than I do. Anyways, I'm done talking. Um, here's what John says about um, sexual blind. To be sexual blind is to feel there is no acceptable arena for relenting to irrational impulses. Mm. This means grasping to a solid concept of self and ego boundaries, lest one's foundations are undermined or at risk of being off-putting in a way that might sabotage social connections. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like for you? Like, Mm. I don't even know how... Like, what are these, that, that's the point is like, I don't even see what the irrational impulses are that I'm following. You know what I'm saying? Like to me being sexual dominant, I don't know what are quote the irrational impulses. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I feel like I can, I can almost like feel this circumstance of say that you're in a group of people, right. And, um, and someone is like, you are happy, like you, okay. For instance, let's say that you're the reason why everyone is together. Like everyone knows you. Right. And then you, one of your friends is like pulling you aside and it's like, I just want to talk to you and only you and like have a one-on-one conversation for, and, and it's like disrupting the rest of the group because no one else like knows each other yet. And like, everyone's feeling a little off that would like tear me apart. And like, 
talking to that person, even though I would, I love them and I would want to talk with them feels so irrational to me and like unhelpful to the group because it's now hurting everyone else when I, and maybe that's a bit of pride in me that I feel like I need to kind of be there to facilitate the group being together. But at the same time, it would, it feels like I don't have time for this one-on-one thing because I'm in a group and I'm in, this is affecting the rest of the group's cohesion. And so spending time one-on-one with you feels like it's just, it just is like disrupting things. And I would rather be like doing what the group wants rather than what this one person wants or what this other person wants. Um, And, and so it's very much about like, and I think this is, this also goes to show that I'm social first, right? Because that's like my thought. It's it's not what does this one person want necessarily, but like how can I best serve the group as a as a whole, the tribe? Um, and being social self-pres, it's often like, okay, gather the group, like make sure they are all feel safe, safe, and then feed them. <laughs> And then like, and in Even, all of that yeah. process, there's yeah. no time to stop and talk with, you know, unless the rest of the group is okay, there's no time to stop and like, go serve myself, you know, like I would never, I would never go off and like, whatever, like, uh, like even at work, sometimes it's hard for me to focus on what I'm doing if I hear a conversation going on in the next room of people who are like, struggling through a problem it's hard for me to like focus on my thing because I feel like oh there's a greater issue here with the group that I need to help and be a part of so that I can help make the group feel more cohesive before I go back to my thing does Hmm. that make sense does that like go along with well I guess just I'm wondering like how does that even I wonder how that would factor into like personal relationships too you know what i'm saying because like mm. one on the, the arena of one-on-one isn't any more sexual than it is social it's just like mm-hmm. the arena of one-on-one is about relationship you know what i'm saying and so there mm-hmm. a lot of relationships have both of those as a component so like i totally hear what you're saying as far as like how it like how sexual it comes like really like you would never let it come at the expense of social like as a as a group right. thing. and i get that but like i wonder what that looks like even in a personal relationship like basically something i'm asking this because something i heard is like basically i I forget what song it was but i was on the internet reading about some song i was enjoying and someone was basically some like random person on the internet was like oh these (laughs) here's what i think the lyrics mean and they Mm. basically gave the sexual something that struck me as a sexual blind explanation which is that like this song is about a friendship that now has like there are secret like charges of attraction and like the person is terrified like basically the singer is terrified that like by trying Mm. to take it too far and like being flirtatious or something or like whatever, basically they, they, they charged it with chemistry and now the relationship can't just be a relationship anymore. Like it can't just be a friendship. And now it's charged. There, there are two like illustrations of like common phrases or common like social things that I feel like are, are, indicators of of a maybe even a sexually blind society that we live in often in in america well i don't know if that's if that's fair to say but i'll give you the phrases and you can have your input um one is like when you hear 
or at least I've heard this a lot where a girl will like, like this guy or who, you know, whatever. And then they'll be like, oh, but I can't like them because they used to date this other, this, my friend, or I can't like yeah. them because they, they, this, my friend likes them. And that is a sexual blind social first re- response, which is I can't have a feeling because it's going to disrupt the group's feeling and I would sacrifice my own personal impulse to say like as long as they feel good it's it's much better um and even if it hurts you know like but I'm willing to to make that sacrifice and sexual first people might say that's why would that's not a thing no one made that decision I you know you're right you're right whatever social like girl code as you're putting it like girl code mm-hmm. is is a social instinct thing you know what i'm saying yeah. like that's a byproduct of the social instinct and that yeah wow in solidarity with the girl code is like i will sacrifice any emotions i have because in, in the end for for social first people and sexual blind people like emotions really are fleeting what what lasts is the tribe what lasts is the group and you're willing to make those sacrifices because that's not your highest priority or at least you've told yourself that yeah wow that was that's so interesting thank you for sharing that first mm-hmm. and foremost um a couple of things you were saying made me think of some little things in the book that john wrote about this and like basically he he wrote tiny little mantras for each one of the stackings to express sort of what is being sacrificed for Mm. the dominant instinct or like why it's being sacrificed. Right. And what he wrote for what he, what he wrote for social self-prez is if I express sexual by being too provocative or unstable, I will alienate others and be ostracized and abandoned. Yeah. Wow. 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 And just for my own, actually, I'll just read through them real quick just so people can, they're really short. Um, For my own stacking, selfishly, this is what he says about sexual social. If I express self-preservation by being too stable and self-sufficient, I won't be attractive and will be sexually overlooked. Um, Whoa. Can you explain that more? Because that is weighty. Well, okay. So I think like how that plays out in reality is that for me, like the sexual instinct like when you're in a committed relationship, I guess, like, and I have, I mean, I've been with Anna for t- almost two and a half years now. It's like, that is not the same thing as like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still doing the sexual instinct all the time, even if I don't realize it, you know, or even mm-hmm. like, even though I'm not actively like trying to get another like mate per se in an animalistic term. But something I've realized is like, especially being sexual social, because it's supported with this drive for connection and relationship that's social. Um, to me, it's like, it feels like I'm not allowed to have my own consistent lifestyle. Like self-pres is what drives us to like have like, it's what drives us to protect our hours of sleep, to make sure we're eating well, to make sure we're exercising well, like just doing things that we, that we need to do to have a consistent lifestyle. That's that is comfortable and happy and healthy. Mm. And to me, it's like, if I'm too stable, um, I'll lose not only the connection of social, but even more importantly, I'll lose this, the, the magnetic chemical connection with whoever it is that has my attention. And so like, mm. typically like what that means is that like, I mean, social is above self-pres for me as well. So like if a certain friend wants to 
hang out or something and I was going to go to the gym, I'll probably bail on the gym and go hang out with this friend. That's true. Mm-hmm. But, but what feels much higher stakes is it's like, if, it, if it's whoever it is that, um, that really is like the object of my attention that where I feel aroused in some sense, like, a, Oh, this, like, there's a lot of potential in our relationship here. Like we could get super duper, duper close. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll drop everything. Like I'll literally drop everything because it's like, Oh, this person, like when I was pursuing Anna, when I was really interested in her, but we weren't dating yet. And I, um, I remember one time, like literally just like one time I ran into her, uh, we were in college at the time. And like, I ran into her at this one place where we were eating food. And like, I was just going to grab something and go to class. And I just saw her and I was like, not going to class anymore. That's for dang sure. Like, you think <laughs> I'm going to go to class? Absolutely not. Like, I don't, that's so funny. That's the point is that like the things that are the, the structures of like the duties, like self-pres brings this sense of mundane duty that we all have to get mm. done. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, br- you're, when you're blind to self-pres, like when you don't see self-pres as like something that's instinctually important, you're going to devalue those things. And it's like, you know what? I don't need to meet that need. I don't need to have a con- mm. consistent lifestyle. And so these practical duties that are duties, like they do exist and they do matter and you do need to get them done. Like they seem threatening, especially to whatever, whatever it is that's like consuming you being sexual dominant at the time, you know? And so mm-hmm. for me, that's usually, especially being a two, like so much of the time, that's just a person. Like there's usually one person. Um, and I even had this conversation with a friend Um a few weeks ago um julia if you're listening shout out to you love you um but she is a sexual blind too and so we were sort of talking about like she's a self-pressed social too and so we were talking about we got into this but we weren't even talking about the, the enneagram but we were talking about this big idea of like what what makes main character energy and like what what mm. counts someone as a main character or whatever and so as we were unpacking this concept of main character i realized that like my entire life i have never felt like the main character in my life and that's not in like a nine-ish like oh i don't matter i'm in the background kind of way no i have always felt like the main supporting character of any given story right, and like right, who, whoever right. whoever it is that's like the object of the sexual instinct in my head and of course I never saw this. Like I didn't have this language or understanding of like, oh, this is the sexual instinct, but I've done mm-hmm. it my entire life. And it's like, whoever it is that the sexual instinct is fixated on in me, like that person is the main character and the story arc follows them and my relationship and my aim to get close to them and get closer and closer and closer and closer to them until we're functionally fused is what like is what defines the story arc really. Hmm. Um, and so when it's, when it's not, basically whenever there's, there've been times where it feels like my life is like, if I am, if I'm too self-preserving, literally, if I'm protecting my own energy, I will lose the the chemical momentum that we have in this connection and whatever Mm -hmm. fire is being stoked between us, I need to be stoking it the whole time. And so honestly, there is this feeling like I have remembered specific moments where it's like, if I don't go to this event right now, I won't be able to see like, there was one time this summer where there was just a friend I was trying to get to know. And like, it wasn't even so it wasn't conscious. Like I didn't think of it like this, but like, Basically, I got invited to go to, to the beach for one day with a whole group of people. And I knew this one person was going to be there and I wanted to get to know them better. And like, I just realized on, on my drive there, it was a four and a half hour drive to the beach. Five, no, it was five hours. And I realized like three hours in, I was like, if this person weren't going today, I would not be going to this trip at all. Literally wow. not at all. Mm-hmm. I had work the next day. You know what I'm saying? Like I had work the next day and I drove five hours there, five hours back. Sacrificing yourself. Got like prez. zero. And literally yeah. got zero sleep. I don't even think I ate on the way down. Cause I was like, I need to get there now. Like I left, I woke up early in the morning left. Mm-hmm. Got, it was just, just like this craziness. And I didn't realize that like, 
this is what happens with people who are self-pressed blind. There's this feeling of like ungrounded chaos that's happening all the time because connection with social and chemistry with sexual is ruling the day. So it's like, I have these impulses with sexual, I'll follow them. I have this, I have these relational obligations with social, I'll follow them. And, and so it's like, at the end of the day, mm. you basically have no physical resources to give and you don't realize that. You don't realize that you've been burning yourself out. And this goes back to that mm. conversation that I had with Anna last night where I'm literally saying to her like, Hey, like I, she asked me, how are you doing? I said, I'm well. And she was like, well, what do you mean? Like what's, what's there? And I'm like, no, I am well, but like, to be honest, I'm spiritually exhausted. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I've had like any spiritually restorative time with God. I don't feel like I'm sleeping enough. I genuinely don't feel like I'm eating enough. I haven't gone to the gym in three days, like just all these things. And it's like things that I value and I do want to do them, but I just like, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) I just don't. (laughs) Well, okay. I think that the same thing that this is an interesting one because with the with the sexual blind and the social blind or or like vice versa, however you want to say it, like there's an element where I can't really understand what it would feel like to be um, sexual sexually dominant. Like I I don't know what that would feel like. Whereas you wouldn't you can't understand what it is to be sexually blind. But with with self preservation, I feel like there's this kind of undercurrent that we both can understand and one like this chaos that like without this there is chaos and but it's the same thing that drives you to to not do it you're like okay whatever it'll be fine and you still feel it but but for me it's what it's what drives me to do it and it's like I have to like everything's gonna go crazy if I don't do this and the self-preservation instinct is, is like, it sustains you. It's what literally lets you keep going. And yeah. what happens when you're blind to it is you've told yourself that I can sustain myself using other methods. It's like, I can, I like your drive, that five hour drive, you weren't, you weren't eating. You were probably hungry, but you were full by thinking about being with these people and like the, the relationships were what were filling you up and like telling you that you were satisfied and, and had energy. Right. But for me, if I'm like, if I, I, my social, like I could get home from a bunch of people and be like, Oh, I didn't eat like that whole time. But if I'm by myself, I get hungry like really quickly because it's like, I am so hungry right now because now there's no way to fill myself with social, with my social instincts. So then the next one comes in. It's like, this is what you need in order to be satisfied in this one moment. And then, like you said, like you're a slave to it, right? In that order. And it's like, when, when social has gone, what's next, you know, what, what's next on the yeah. pecking order? Yeah. And like, to be honest, I think what I'm realizing is that like for you, because you're not self-pressed blind, like you do feel the pressure of like, if I don't take care of myself in X, Y, and Z way, if I don't like physically in some way treat myself or do what I need to do practically, like I will run out of steam. Mm -hmm. And to me, I just don't feel like I'm ever going to run out of steam ever. Like Mm. I literally will just keep going and going because I'm blind to it. That's the point is that I'm so, my, my ego is so averse to even managing my own self like preserving the self that i i don't even think about it i just go 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 and then eventually anna's like are you okay i'm like yeah i'm i'm well and i'm like and then i'm like oh wait i'm actually running on fumes and have been for days i just didn't Mm. see that you know 
So I have a question then, like, because my brain is starting to make an image of like almost seeing the instincts as a funnel where it's like the first two are a funnel and the last one is just like you you're just blind to it and as as much as you can avoid it you do but your first and second instinct like your the first one the dominant one is your priority right for you the sexual instinct for me the social but when we're out of resources and that we we kind of tap into our resources via the second instinct to try and funnel things back into the first one exactly does that make sense that is exactly correct. Yeah, like we are, like we're using our secondary instinct to try and get the needs met of of the second of, of the primary instinct, mm-hmm. the dominant instinct. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like for me, I mean, I I do crave social connection all the time, but like I just was at I was at like this. I went to a group event yesterday and I had a great time, but like I show up to the group event not thinking like, wow, I can't wait to bond with all these people and have warm fuzzies. I'm literally like, there's like a radar scanning for like who's mm-hmm. like my next person really like who is my next target mm-hmm. it's it genuinely feels like crosshairs it's like i'm a sniper looking through the window of this group event <laughs> that i'm physically at and i don't realize i'm at like i'm physically at this event i'm just like looking like hmm, like mm. who do i decide is like the victim today like it sounds so i mean that's such an that's such an eight fixed way of describing yeah. <laughs> it. exactly literally so eight fixed it's like so yeah. violent but no, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't, I don't realize that, like I'm using social just as like this funnel, like you said, to try and get it back to the dominant instinct. And for mm-hmm. you, it's like, like sort of like what you said about like, you love having people together and like food, like eating together is like, is like an excuse for people to be together, you know, or yeah, it's like, right. there's any sort of self-present excuse for us to do stuff together and like be together mm. and connect and whatever. It's all of that. I mean, for anyone right? who knows me personally, like that's just something I quite literally do often (laughs) as much as I can. Um, I will gather people and I love making Saturday morning pancakes and like having people around and Saturday morning pancakes, although I do really enjoy pancakes and I will eat them on my own. Um, it was always about the people. It was always like people will come, people will be together and I can take care of them and I can cultivate my tribe and my group and my whatever. Um, And I always, what's so interesting about that is like when some of my favorite things, and I've mentioned this to people before when they ask me like, Oh, what's your favorite part about like doing that about hosting or whatever. I will usually say one of my favorite parts is that watching people connect with each other. And that is not a, a sexual instinct thing to say because I am not involved in that. Like I love watching my friends come together, whether they know each other or not, and and really like split off themselves and form relationships within themselves because now my group is stronger. <laughs> my tribe is growing, <laughs> um, which that is, is so interesting. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And that's, you're right though. Like that, Like that's the thing is that like, sexual isn't at all about like let's get warm fuzzies and connect it's not like what do we share in common you know what i'm saying Mm. like the sexual like social social has this verbose aspect to it so that doesn't mean that every social dominant person is talkative and every person who is sexual dominant is not my point Mm -hmm. is that like the social instinct is using words to communicate because communication itself is a social instinct thing you know what i'm saying Mm. like communication is is a way that we try and find common ground and, and and build the build a bridge a verbal bridge between me and this other person what do we share what do we not share what are you thinking what do i think you know all of that social instinct realm Mm -hmm. but like sexual is sexual is going off of some sort of unnameable 
pull. Like, I, I love this, like whenever I think about the sexual, not whenever, but when I think about how to describe it and what it feels like, um, I think about that, that description in Harry Potter of what it's like to take a port key and like, Mm. like Harry Harry describes the experience as like it's like as if you're being pulled from behind the navel like like there's a fish hook like behind your your belly button and you're like being like sucked forward to, towards something and it's like they're being pressed through a tube and then they're out remember that like that's the porky mm-hmm. experience yeah. and then suddenly they're somewhere else like that's what the sexual instinct feels like it's like there's something pulling me from the center of me like from my belly button forward and I it feels like I don't have a choice you know what I'm saying mm. it feels like well whatever it's tugging me toward it's tugging me toward and I'm gonna go there Mm-hmm. it's not like a oh this is like this looks fun it just like it feels like i'm oh i'm just suddenly here like what what happened wow. like i don't you know whereas like social you're right it was like social's like i want to see these people connect and like i want to have a i want to have a, a better set of people like my people is such a social mm-hmm. concept in and of itself yeah so i guess my my next thought is because we share trifixes and because we are very similar people maybe what what ways do we see instincts that maybe are biased because of our similar lenses of our neuroses and our uh, trifixes that maybe would like, what have we talked about that could be helpful for someone else with, with different trifixes than us? Well, we're not talking about self-pres dominance because neither of us are self-pres dominant. Is that what you're asking? Like, like there are things no, we're not talking about for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm more so talking about like, how do you talk about, you know, being dominant or oppressed in any of these areas that, that like maybe a five would feel differently or a four or a nine would feel differently than us because, you know, we are, although we are different in stacking, we are very similar um, in our patterns (laughs) and personalities. No, you are so right. You are so right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it's like to be a nine. I've never been a nine, but like, honestly, it's just like something I, like nine is a great example. Like it's going to be a completely different experience. Like nine is a withdrawn type, no matter what. That doesn't mean every mm-hmm. single nine is introverted. What it means is that it's withdrawing from reality to get what it needs. But like reading John's book was so helpful because it made me realize that like every nine is being diffused. That like the ego of the nine is being diffused as a way of trying to meet the needs of the dominant instinct. So it's just mm. diffusing into the, into that, into the realm of the, of the dominant instinct. So like the sexual nine is diffusing, like basically losing their true self by diffusing into their sexual, like their sexual flavor. It's sort of like, mm. all I really am, all I really am is, is a, a hot thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, or all I really am is like this, um, like a trophy wife, like a trophy wife is a perfect example of like a sexual nine in a sense, mm. you know, like the term trophy wife, because it's like my only real value is me as like, as a, as something on someone's shoulder, you know, like arm mm. candy kind of concept. Yeah. But like, so it's, so then the sexual nine has this sort of quandary of like, am I really anything other than this? Um, mm-hmm. And the social nine is diffused into the social environment. So like the social nine is typically quite engaged in relationships and with people and all these things. And like, maybe Anna would have something to say about this at some point, but like, it's like, do people see me amidst all this? You know, like mm-hmm. what, what is my role here? Like, am I anything more than just like a listening ear? you know right the listener is a huge big yeah that's big for social nines 
Yeah, exactly. And then the self-pres nine is, is losing themselves in their, t- in their mundane life, which is why the self-pres nine, like self-pres is metaphorically the earth. So it's sort of like the nine, the self-pres nine is, is being diffused into the earth. And so mm-hmm. they get this very heavy, like it's, it's a weightier feeling. And the self-pres nine is just sort of like, they're not really waking up to themselves because they're too busy, like m- making sure they get enough sleep. Like I have a self-pres nine that I was just on the phone with a few days ago. Cause we were talking mm-hmm. about instincts actually. Um, and he like, I'm just thinking about him and knowing him and loving him. Like there have been so many times where he's just so busy, like I'm just exhausted or I'm hungry or whatever. And he's missed out on social and sexual opportunities in a sense, because he like it, the, the numbing was so much easier by engaging with self-pres, you know, mm, yeah. it just was, it was shocking. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be any other type structure except this crazy nonsense we have. However, I do think that creates a huge deficiency in what we're talking about because we like, we relate to each other. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, we relate to each other despite our completely different stackings. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we honestly, that I guess that just means we'll have to have more guests. Uh-oh, more people. How sad. <laughs> we're so we're devastated by that. Yeah. And, and for those of you listening, like, for those five people who are listening, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please, like, if you have different thoughts that you feel like you have an interesting take that you haven't heard us say, or, or just different questions that maybe just we can't bring up because we don't know what it is like to live with your kind of patterns, um, don't, like, feel free to reach out to us and absolutely ask us those questions, make those comments. Um, and you know, you know where to find us on the internet. We're not rehashing that today. Go find it. <laughs> yeah. You search, search our podcast name. You'll find us. Okay. Yes. Uh, but, um, I'm going to briefly read just like a tiny bit of what John describes. Um, the, those other little anecdotes for the other four stockings mm-hmm. that we are not. Yeah. Um, good. Good. So like, so for, so I, t- I read social self-pres. So like for you, it, it's social self-pres is if I express sexual by being too provocative or unstable, I will alienate others and be ostracized and abandoned. But um, contrast that with social sexual. And so social sexual is the other social stacking, but it says if I express self-preservation by being too stable and self-sufficient, I will alienate others and be, and be ostracized and abandoned, mm. which is such a different experience. Um mm-hmm. It's interesting. So I already read sexual social. I'm not going to read that again, but sexual self-pres, which is social blind, says if I express social by being too available and dispersed, I won't be attractive and will be sexually overlooked. Yeah. So the sexual self-pres person is being social blind. There's like this cave dweller feeling, but it's like if I'm too socially engaged, I won't have time to cultivate this attractive Mm -hmm. flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and then we look at self-press sexual, which is the other social blind stacking. It says, if I express social by being too available and dispersed, it will create scarcity and harm by undermining my resources and foundations. Mm. So like the, the self-press sexual person is also, it's the other cave dweller, but it's focused on creating these, having these resources and having this lifestyle that's consistent and comfortable. Um, and like the social instinct really is like metaphorically the air. So it's dispersion. Um, and then self-press social classic back to the start, the most original. Um, if I express sexual by being too provocative or unstable, it will create scarcity and harm by undermining my resources and foundations. Mm. And that's kind of like, it's, it's just interesting. It's like all of these are such different perspectives and we don't see how nuanced it is. You know what I'm saying? Cause I'm not like going around all day thinking that like, I'm not using those right. words in right. my head. But I don't realize that like unconsciously I'm terrified of appearing stable because if I'm, if I'm too stable with self-pres, I'm available, I'm unavailable in sexual mm-hmm. and social ways, you know? 
Mm, yeah, because now you have structure that you have to stick to rather than go with whatever maybe would get you closer to someone. Yes. Yep. There was another passage of the sexual mind thing that he writes about that I wanted to hear your thoughts on. Yeah. I just also want to say like, while we're bringing up movie tropes and stuff like that, I think that that's, that's probably a good trope of the, the nice guy, like in all of the rom-coms, it's like, Oh, the nice guy doesn't cause they're too stable and they're like actually kind. And they, they're like, you know, in all of the rom-coms when like the nice guy doesn't get the girl or whatever, like, that trope exists because they they have structure and they're not like in that way they're seen as not exciting which i don't know how true yeah, that is in no, real life but oh you're talking about yeah. like sexual blindness sexual blindness yeah as a yeah nice guy. yes right. yes but exactly. that's probably like in in reverse someone who's self-pressed last and sexual first like you i don't know if you see that and you're like oh shoot don't want to be that <laughs> but that's basically what you're avoiding yeah, no, I'm, that's that's kind of true. I didn't even think about that. But really, that's what it is, is it's like if I, I can't even stand the idea. I mean, really, social self-pres for yourself and self-pres social, like they're, they are like the building blocks of society in a sense, because it's basically saying have foundations, have resources um, mm-hmm. and connect with people mm-hmm. and, and have a community. And, and to me, it's like, it, like this sounds so dramatic, but it makes me think of like Belle when she's like, <laughs> in, in Beauty and the Beast when she's like when she's like I want much more than this provincial life you know right, it's like it's so right. dramatic and like self-consumed but that's like the yeah. way I f- that's the way I feel like sometimes I think about that I'm like I'm like there must be more than this provincial life like and so the mm. idea is like if I'm not really excited and aroused like if I'm not hunting something like mm-hmm. if I'm just like hu- like if I'm just gathering really like if self social is just like I'm gathering materials and like coming back home really like right. I, like you think right. about it it's like it's the gathering side of things like no i want to hunt i don't want to gather like i don't want to like i don't mm-hmm. want to go out and get resources i want to get lucky i want to get lucky on one kill and i bring home the bacon you know and survive right. that until the next time you know until there's something else to hunt uh mm, yeah wow, but at the same i never time, thought about that metaphor but it, like that's why you like i don't know that's why partnership is so important like in, in no matter what it's you know you can't live really your life without some kind of structure. And you've even said that, but that's, that's not like your forte, right? So that's why you have people in your life like Anna who, who is, are extremely structured and can provide that. It's just interesting the way that, um, I don't, I don't know for me, like that's where the instincts are so cool. And so important for myself, they're important, but here's my social answer, like to relate to other people and realize why we need each other is that I need, I need someone who's willing to pull me outside of my comfort zone as well as someone else might need my ability to gather groups and foster community. You know, it's like, those are both necessary and it's important to see and remember that other people have like a different priority. And, and I feel like a lot of times people butt heads is not because they want to, but because their, their instincts are hitting each other. And so it's like, we aren't even close enough for, for me to actually intentionally hurt you. But my, my priority and your priority are like, just happen to be diametrically opposed and they're causing us to like hit. 
Well, and like, this is so funny you bring this up because I had a conversation today with someone I love um, talking about another relationship in my life that I also value a lot, but it's sort of difficult because to me, basically I had an argument with a friend of mine like two months ago or pretty much I, to me, it was like, I, I just like, I would drop anything to, to spend time with him and prioritize our relationship and whatever. And to him, he, I mean, he's self-press social and he's a three too. So there's just like, mm. there's a grindstone kind of thing. And like, that's, not, I'm, I can't blame him for that. But to me, it's like, he'll, he's got to do what he's going to do. And so he can't, he can't necessarily just like, you know, what? I'm going to drop everything because I want to spend time for our relationship and, mm. and our connection. And what it's like, he doesn't always have time for that. And, and for me, it's like, that has, that literally made us butt heads. And we had an actual argument about it because I was mm. like, to me, like, to me, it's so easy to overlook self-press. It's like, why wouldn't you just like not get sleep so that we could develop our relationship? You know, like, right. why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you sacrifice your homework time or whatever, like whatever it is that you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like to me, it's like all these self-press things. Like I'm, I'm under like underneath all of my conscious thought I'm undervaluing those things and acting as if they don't matter at all. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, those don't have any place. So why would you give them any place? You know, it's like, right. obviously those things don't matter. And that's not true. You know, and to someone sexual blind, like my friend that I was just talking about, like, of course, he isn't thinking this consciously, but like, it's like, why would I think? Yeah, sure. I sure I might want to just like, I might instinctually like, I might be pulled to have, like, spend time developing this relationship and, and really get the juices like the the sexual instinct juices of like where we're like, there's, there's chemistry and we're, we're enjoying it. And like, there's like, just like the spark, really the spark in relationship. Mm -hmm. Like he might want to do that, but, but if he's sexual blind, to him, it's like, I, that's not even a thing. Like, I don't even have that option. You know, I don't have the choice to do that. And it feels like, like it might, it's not asking a lot from you because that's something you're inclined to, but it might feel for him that's asking a lot, you know? And I think that's like, that's why John's book was so transformative for me because like the way he describes it is that like the reason we learn neurosis is because we are basically neurosis is a tool to get us the resources for the dominant instinct when we start to lose it. And so it's mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? Like I learned too, as a strategy, it's like, as soon as the sexual instinct starts to become unsatisfied, it's like, I need to find, I need to find something to arouse me. And so I learned two-ishness in my youth. You know what I'm saying? Like as a mm. child, I'm learning this. I don't realize this, but like, I'm learning too, as a strategy, I'm learning flattery and, and friendliness and warmth and all these things as a strategy to, to reproduce the arousal and chemistry response. Mm. And like, that is you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's just, I don't see it as neurotic, but it is neurotic. And that's like, if we don't realize, like, I mean, just even for me in my faith, like what I personally believe is that in actuality, the heart of Jesus is enough. Like he's always enough for me, mm-hmm. but unconsciously, I don't see this, but I unconsciously believe that like, I need to foster, I need to force chemistry to occur in my reality. Otherwise I'm going to run out and die. Like basically mm-hmm. the narrative is if we're not meeting the needs of our dominant instinct all the time, we are going to die. And so for me, it's like, if I don't, if I'm not meeting sexual all the time, I'm going to die. But in actuality, like in my relationship with God, I know that's not true. And so I need to practice like something that's been transformative for me after reading this book was like, what's the chemistry like I have in my faith with Jesus? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, like, am I, am I stoking that flame? Like, because the reason I perceive that I don't have enough is because I'm not actually going back to the source. And like, that's a whole different conversation that I would love to talk about. But like, for me, like. Like I, I have a God who actually sustains and provides all of my needs, 
but the sexual instinct is the thing that my brain says I need more all the time, all the time, all the time. And like, it's not actually true, but yeah, I don't, I don't realize that, you know? And I think you, you hit on something briefly that, that has really been wrecking me recently of remembering that these things started as children and that they're not Mm. like we grew up and decided one day to be broken people. It's that we were born into brokenness. And when I do have conflict or when I do feel frustrated or shamed in my, to myself at myself and I, and I, and I do go to God and I'm like, what do I do about myself? What do I do about my relationship with this person? He often will show me myself or that other person as a child and remind me that we are all just children who are, who these things started that as children. And in, in many ways we still are kids and it's much easier to forgive a child. It's much easier to ask for forgiveness as a child than to, to be like, I should know better, you know, because the instincts is really that you don't know better. The instincts is like, you do worse. (laughs) That's like the, the, like the whole premise of the instincts. Um, And so to remember that, like, there is always forgiveness as a, as being a child and, and, and that like that, it's just so much easier to relate to other people when you can see them as the kid that they still are in many ways. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. That's really good. Good content, Malia. Um, Something I was thinking about is like what John, how John describes it is that we become unconsciously identified with the dominant instinct. Hmm. And, um, and that, that was something like something I didn't realize, but like when I talk about my life, like when I literally just talk about my life, like what comes up first and foremost, like most often, like if, if you ask me to give like, Hmm. like as a Christian, uh, as, as a Christian, um, my friend's mom was asking me the other day, she was like, Hey, can you tell me like, what's your testimony? Like, just talk about your testimony. And I realized like everything I talked about was about like was relate like it was sexually infused like I didn't see that until afterwards but I was like after we had the conversation I was like okay what did I talk about actually um I talked about Mm. like in regards to my faith I talked about sexuality as an important like construct and like part of like being a Christian is is often for most people dealing with sexual sin like that has nothing to do with it but like that was a central pivotal part of the way Mm. I viewed myself and I viewed my own story and my own existence was through the lens of the sexual instinct. And then also like the people I talked about were people that were the object of the sexual instinct. Really. It's like, what did mm-hmm. I talk about? Everything was sexually identified. And I didn't realize that like, I see my own life and I see my own existence existence unconsciously as related and tied to the sexual instinct. And like, it mm-hmm. honestly is the sexual instinct. And in the same sense, I was wondering like, just something I've noticed with you is that like being social dominant, of course you talk about people all the time, Yeah. but there's also like, even when we, like when we, when you and I have talked vulnerably about things, like a lot of it, ta- it like relates to your family or like to friends from high school or like so much of like the way you're unconsciously identified is with social. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just wondering, like, does that strike a chord or anything? Like, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking as you were talking, like, you know, this past weekend, um, for those of you listening, like this past weekend, Jack and Anna came to see me and, um, and they got to meet some of my friends who were overseas with me. 
Um, and like watching two pieces of my groups and tribes in a, in a way come together and get to know each other was not only like great and wholesome and fun, but it made me feel validated. And, um, in a way that, um, I don't know, one of the most humbling things about, uh, like moving into a new place new place like I just moved to a new city and uh into a new community one of the most vulnerable things for me is that when you are introduced as the new person coming along with that is this implication that you don't have anybody outside of that community and like you are just all alone and this feeling that I was identified outside of anyone I knew felt so like frustrating to me because I'm like that's not who I am though because I am a sum of my people in a way and and that just felt so like social to me that and, and even when I tell tell my story and like the way that that uh that I've you know r- risen and fell and risen and fell and, and that God has helped pick me back up again it's usually via people because that is the priority that I'm, I'm thinking about that it affects me the most. And, you know, Jesus just sends people after people. Jack, you've been one of them multiple, multiple times. Amen. We love to hear it. That's um, right. And so when I tell, when I talk, it is very social because that has deeply impacted me. And that is how I feel known. That is how I, um, that's, that's often like, a big piece of who I am is a community builder. I love bringing people together. Um, however, especially during this time of living somewhere new and kind of starting over and I've started over a couple times, but it's different to start over. Like you're not, I, I wasn't really, I mean, I guess I, I, I am coming into something established, but in a way like nothing like I've ever experienced before where I'm coming in and, um, And I had to be humbled with the fact that like, okay, is Jesus enough of a community for me to feel known by to, for me to feel identified with is, is he enough of a tribe? And, um, and in that, do I trust that he will provide a tribe, you know, like that, that Hmm. in being patient and, and, and knowing that I, I'm not different, that I'm not changed, like that I'm myself, no matter where I am, that he, in, in me being myself, he will still provide something. Um, but it's okay if he doesn't, you know? Uh, and so that has been really, that has been really kind of hard and stringent for me being in a new place of like, do I still feel known? Do I still feel, can I still be myself connected and, and connected? Yeah. With, when there's no people, like, how do you be connected and of course there are people but of course that it's it's also like but they're not my people and they're not like the same people and yeah you know all of those kind of things um but yeah i absolutely agree with that and would and would say it i echo that in in the way that i talk about myself and the way that i talk about um my people and also like the way i talk about myself when there are no people or when there aren't my people yeah wow Yes. 
That's so interesting. It's so interesting. Well, we should like, we should find someone who is self-pres dominant to come on here yeah. and talk about like what that is, because I literally, well, also because I have disdain for the self-pres instinct, but that's a different topic. Um, no, I just would be <laughs> like, I, I can't even imagine like what it would be like to be identified with it. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. Well, I it's wonder, really and I, I would love to ask this question, but I wonder if it's this feeling of like, I am structured and that's an identity that I, I have this like ability to ground myself. And if I mm. don't have that grounding, like, who am I, you know, if I don't, if I don't have like three meals a day at this time, and I, of course it's not like that for everyone, but I wonder if that's that, if that's a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That we'll have to find out. We will have to find out. Wow. Y'all, I think that's all we're going to handle for tonight because there's so much more to say about this. There's so much more to do. Um, and I feel like this is honestly a really fun topic, but um, we will probably have a sequel to this in the following week for you. So um, stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed what we were talking about today with instincts, blind spots, dominant, all that stuff. Um, I encourage you again, read John Lukovich, The Instinctual Drives and the Enneagram and has this sort of weird witchy looking cover um if you're intrigued he's sexual dominant and you can certainly tell that the author himself that's what i'm saying but that's a different thing um and it has a giant picture of his face on the back the instinctual drives in the enneagram so that i mean that book is kind of a lot of what informed what we're talking about today um i hope you enjoyed it go find us online follow us whatever um our season of inactivity is over so we're back folks um and i hope you're enjoying yourselves uh malia do you have any any last words no well we just appreciate the listens and leave us a review um it helps us know what's working what's not working uh who you guys are a little bit from you but we also just love hearing from you so okay bye (laughs) y'all bye